You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, Episode 41. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, coaches. Welcome to this week's show. Happy day. Hope you're having a successful week. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, executive and mentor coach and coach educator. Just really excited to welcome you to one more episode of the Star Coach Show. We are going to do a dive into something that tends to be you know, at risk of being a little dramatic here, a little mysterious in the coaching community. The concept of what does it take to be able to reach the credential of Master Certified Coach, which is the top credential within the International Coach Federation. There's a very small amount of the overall coaching population that has achieved an MCC, and there's a great deal involved in being able to get there. Our guest today is Teresa Poole. Teresa is a Master Certified Coach. She is the President and CEO of Transitions for Business and the new ACTP Director of Training for the Executive Coaching Program at the University of Texas at Dallas in their School of Management. Now, Teresa not only has achieved the Master Certified Coach Certification, but she works with other coaches to help them achieve that goal and actually works with people to strengthen their coaching, whether they're deciding to go for the MCC or not. But I asked her to join today's show so that she could share some of the elements that go into that top certification. And I think she does an excellent job today sharing her perspective, sharing some of the elements that create that extra level of coaching competency, the extra level of complete coaching presence and focus on the client that is required to be considered a master certified coach. Even if you are not certain whether you want to be a master certified coach, and maybe you're still at an ACC level or still in training to become a coach. I think that this show can be very helpful in creating that overarching understanding of what it takes to really continue to build your your coaching skill set and and the level of being that we we want to achieve when we are a master practitioner of coaching. So let's listen to our interview with Teresa Poole and help open up new possibility and new potential for what we all can reach for. I want to welcome Teresa Poole to the show. Teresa, great to see you. How are you? I am awesome today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. It's so nice to have you here. And we're going to be 
picking your brain today about becoming an MCC. And that is a sort of a pinnacle that people reach for. And there's a lot of different parts that go along with that. But before we get into the steps somebody might take if they're looking to become an MCC, let's start with just a little bit about what what brought you into the field of coaching and what were you doing before you became an executive coach? Well, I'll answer those backwards. So before I became a coach, I spent my career as a computer programmer, worked my way up at EDS and left as an executive over the internal IT department. And so that was a fun career. I really enjoyed it. It was something that worked really well for me. But the higher you go in an organization, the less it is about the work, the less it is about the people, and the more it is about meetings and meetings to have meetings. And between that and wearing pantyhose, that was back in the day we had to wear pantyhose and heels to work, all those things just came together and it was like, you know, this is just not for me anymore. And so at that point, I was on like a two, almost three-year journey of, well, what is it that I want then? That is no just quick, oh, it'll just be this, right? It never works out that way. And so instead, it was an exploratory period of leaving the company, trying some startups, wearing different hats, trying different roles, but trying really hard to stay in that old experience of of what I brought to the table and not leave all that behind. And then one day, I read a book by Cheryl Richardson, and it was trying to figure out, you know, your best life. I think it was one of those original books, right? It's like, that's why I was trying to figure that out. And I saw this little teeny reference in the very back of the book about coaching and just something made me, who I never even usually read those sections in a book, something made me reach out and uh, and make some phone calls and do some research. And as soon as I opened and kind of looked under the covers a little bit, I knew this is it. This is it. So that was the beginning of the journey. And that's been, that was 2001. It's been a while. It's been a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and in that process, how did you as you were making your journey, sort of make a decision about the kinds of clients you wanted to work with and what you wanted your path as a coach to look like. (laughs) I wish I could say I had a business plan, but back in those days, you know, leaving the big six-figure income to go sit in my bedroom and hope people showed up, sales not being in my background at all. At that point, I would coach anything that was breathing with a checkbook. And I and there are many of us, right, that, that started that way. <laughs> and so I learned a lot of lessons. And what it ended up morphing into this really interesting practice. My niche is not an industry. It is more of a type of person. And so my first six or seven years as a coach was coaching transition and specifically career transition because I knew all about that, right? And I did that for a while. And then that just naturally morphed into, I wish I could say I was very purposeful about it, but I really wasn't. It's like, where did the universe lead me at that point? And it was very much into, you know, helping people transition into a career that made them more satisfied, that they could be more successful in. It became a lot about performance, executive performance. And now the majority of my work is around executive performance and career development and growth. Okay. And then the other piece that you do that I happen to know that you do is that you're a coach educator and a mentor coach. And you've recently, and when I say recently, it's not actually recent, recent, but I mean like within the last, how many years that you've gotten your MCC? Five years ago, I got my MCC. Okay. So I know that on a regular basis, you work with people to help them achieve a PCC because we work in an ACTP program. Therefore, it's it's necessary for people to be able to kind of graduate with at a PCC level. 
And and I think there's a lot of stuff out there about PCC. And obviously, if you're going through an ACTP program, you're going to have somebody specifically working with you around that. I don't know that there's as much information out there about MCC if you look at the ICF website. But let's get deeper than just what's on the website. So if somebody is looking to reach that top level, a master certified coach, what are First of all, just some of the things, some of the requirement factors that they need to meet to get to that MCC. That's a really good question. I think of achieving the MCC as really two-phase process. One of them is you have to be extremely competent in the ICF core competencies. You can't just, well, I'm a great coach and my clients really love me, is not, you know, that's, yes, wonderful and that's important and that's necessary, but that's also just like the bottom step of the ladder, right, to even consider this. That is necessary. But until you can really internalize and understand how many core competencies are there, what is required for each one, what is the distinction between a PCC and an MCC for each one, to really internalize that, and sometimes it takes years of practice because it is different. It is just, it's not about being a PCC better. There is a the second phase. There's a mindset shift. So once you have all of those competencies really nailed well, there is a way of thinking and being, not just a way of doing that is required to make this final shift into that MCC. And so when in my private practice, I will help PCCs become MCCs, not many, just a few every year. And they all come and they go, I've, I've got this and they've done that first phase, but there's something still missing for them. And it's really about helping them discover what is that internal thing that's getting in the way that allows them to embody the, what I call the ICF walks on water (laughs) model of being an MCC. Because when you look at that ICF levels table, that information you were talking about on the website, when you look at that and you read the MCC column, it's very nebulous. And it is truly that they walk on water. You know, when you walk on water, you do this. (laughs) And people are going, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And that really is this internal way of being and thinking differently that they have to achieve in order to start getting those things demonstrated and observable in their coaching. So what are some of the things that maybe your clients or maybe even yourself were the more difficult maybe skills or ways of thinking to begin to incorporate? One of the big ones, well, one of the, I'll say this many times, one of the big ones, this big one, this is the most important. No, that's the most important. It's hard to narrow it down. It is hard to narrow it down. Really, it's one, there's one that if you get this one going, the rest will begin to fall in place, and that is coaching presence. You know, trust and intimacy is about that wonderful container we create for the clients to be in, right? That safe space and a safe environment. The coaching presence is about our space, our environment, what we bring to the table. And as long as in our space, we're thinking about our performance. As in, if in our space, we're thinking about, I need to be a great coach for this person. I need to help them achieve that goal. There's something I have to accomplish here. I have, it's my responsibility, but the I, 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 as long as we are in that place, then all the other competencies reflect that. It's reflected in our listening. It's reflected in our direct communication and the way we ask questions. It is reflected everywhere because we feel this pressure. And as long as you feel that, you have to help the client. You take away their power, Mm. right? Every time we help our client, we take away their power. So you have to internalize that as a coach. And it requires a tremendous amount of not just confidence in yourself, but faith in the process. It ain't about you as a coach. 
It is about coaching as a process that has an amazing power. And you take that power and the client's power and put them together. You're just there to hold the container. And that's a different way of thinking. It is a different way of thinking, particularly when you know you're being recorded and you know that certain things are being listened for, but truly trusting the process and trusting that your client is whole and has the answers within them and that you're not performing. Right. So coaching presence is huge. What are some of the other things that you see as you mentor people to get to that level that maybe they need to work on or or even just maybe some exercises that you might recommend to help somebody strengthen those those muscles of letting go? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one because when you think about it, when you're working on something, you're in phase one, right? You're in that first phase I talked about. It is, there's really, an, it's internal work, right? It's internal work. It's mm-hmm. It's about going in and, you know, what is it about me? that makes me feel bad if the client doesn't get somewhere by the end. You know, what is it about me and feeling like I might fail and how important that is to me? It is internal work in that second phase, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're working on things, you're working on active listening and powerful questioning, not being satisfied with that surface thing the client brings to the table. Because if you start coaching the surface thing and you have great results on that surface thing, you're still a PCC. Sorry, right? Mm -hmm. It's you're. I call Call it that thing beneath the thing, or it is the below the waterline of the iceberg, right? The biggest part of the iceberg is below that waterline. That is what an MCC much coast much coast to. And for to do that, then that is a thing you can practice. You know, you can practice listening deeper. You can practice asking questions to get to what's really going on, not just what the client presented in the beginning. Those things you can practice. But your ability to let go of the need to help them or get them somewhere or be concerned about your own success, that is, again, that's internal work. And it's very different, very different. And when we've been coaching a long time, which you have to coach a long time to get 2,500 hours, what are we doing? We're practicing the same thing the same way, being very good at it and getting amazing results, but we're also solidifying in cement our skill set. So we have to kind of chisel away at the skill set that we had, unlearn it in order to relearn it. And that's a struggle. And many times, probably 50%, I would say, when someone comes to me and wants to be an MCC, they will say after a while, I see what it takes and I don't want to go through what I would have to go through to do that. Really? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because of the having to unlearn and go back into conscious incompetence again in order to make that next leap. This just occurred to me, and I have no idea if there's a pattern at all, but with the coaches that you work with that are actually successful in following through and submitting and hopefully even achieving their MCC, any similarities in background or where they've come from or any sort of common denominator? Love to say that. (laughs) Well, no, because then anybody who didn't have that common denominator would be very crushing for them. So maybe it's better that there isn't one. Yeah, I don't don't think so. I think what they do have in common is a commitment to the profession and a willingness to explore all those things I just talked about, right? Mm -hmm. A willingness to go into that 
dark space. <laughs> and because it is a struggle. I mean, there is a struggle that kind of goes with it as they're relearning it. But the other wonderful thing is that even those that say, okay, I, I really don't want this. I don't need it. It's not worth it to me. Even they will say that the path to get to the MCC is valuable to them because it has changed the face of their coaching. Mm-hmm. Right. So even the pursuit of it without the achievement of it. Do is, some shifts. Right. Exactly. So those people that are willing to make that concerted effort to relearn, that is the thing they all have in common. Well, and I think a key thing about the profession growing and each of us growing as a professional is our willingness to continue to stretch and learn, even if the goals are different. So when you are working with someone or if somebody is even considering strengthening their skills period. One of the things they might do is record some calls and and have a mentor coach listen and work with them through the calls. True? Yes. Okay. So if you were listening to somebody's call with them, what are some of the things that you might be listening for? We talked about where, you know, whether that big I is in the middle of their session. Mm -hmm. Right. What else are things that you listen for that help you give some some concrete guidance to people. And I know it's hard to do without actually having a call in front of us, but I'm sure you listen for certain things. One thing that I really listen for is curiosity over goal, right? And because as coaches, when we hear the important thing, you can almost feel us picking up the reins and going, okay, I got it. I know what it is now. And away we go towards it. Okay, so as soon as you do that, as soon as you pick up the reins and run toward the end line, with the client, even if you're partnering with the client, if you're doing all this right thing, just doing that sets curiosity aside because now it all closes in. So curiosity, and that is partnered with total responsiveness with the client, right? Responses responsiveness to what the client is saying. And the ICF is getting very big at this now, even at the PCC level with the new PCC markers. It's all about that responsiveness to the client. It isn't about the coach hearing things and knowing what the necessary strategy is. It's about in the moment being responsive to what the client just said and helping the client bring the most value out of what they just said versus moving and taking the session somewhere. So I really listen for that. You know, are you truly in the moment? Are you listening beneath what's being said? And are you able to really just stay in that place of curiosity and not allow the pressure of, oh my gosh, we have only 20 minutes in the session and we still haven't gotten anywhere. And, ah, I've got to fix this. <laughs> I listen for that not being present. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And you mentioned the PCC markers. I know that we're doing an MCC call today, but for anybody whose ears might have picked up about PCC markers, what PCC markers? Can you give just a little bit of information? I know we're doing a dive into those right now, but what is this PCC marker thing? Okay, so it has been a challenge over time for the ICF and any uh, organization, ACTP organization that assesses the coaches as they go through their training. It's always been a challenge for there to be rater reliability and consistency because the competencies as, as written are not behavior-based. It is hard to observe them. And so everyone brings bias into the process 
and there's an assumption of what good coaching sounds like. And so you have multiple people listen to these recordings to determine it. So the markers were created by the ICF about three years ago to provide a behavioral representation of the competencies. They are not separate or different. They're actually aligned by competency. And it gives assessors something to listen for specifically that is behavior-based. Okay. And a big part of those that has been added that wasn't clear in the competencies is that responsiveness to the client. So if we tie this back to the MCC, that is also a great muscle building tool is to look at those markers because an MCC should be able to nail every single one of them, right? Whereas a PCC needs to get just over half. Right. Okay. So one of the things that might be a solid tool is to download those PCC markers from coachfederation.org and see what are the behavioral markers. There's about anywhere from between three to seven per competency, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's very specific about the kinds of behaviors that you're exhibiting within the coaching conversation. Right. Good, good. So in your experience, how often do people actually, let me back out of that question for a second and start with first, how would somebody go about submitting? So they, there's an application process. There's a, is it two recordings? For the MCC? Mm Mm-hmm. Or the PCC. MCC, I believe, yeah, the MCC is still two recordings. Two recordings. Okay, so so somebody has done that. They've, they've gotten their 2,500 hours. They've filled out their application. They've done two recordings that they feel good about and they've submitted. What's your understanding from sort of the process from that point? What happens once you release it to the ICF? <laughs> the black hole happens here. <laughs> There are very, very experienced coaches that, you know, listen to that pro- those recordings and looking at the core competencies, they determine whether or not someone is a, an MCC. That is as much as we know about what's behind the scenes and the process. I have been working with the ICF on getting more clarity for people on what that looks like. The ICF is looking at how can we have something that is more behavior-based, that is more tangible than that walks on water concept, right? And that is a struggle for them. That's a huge struggle. The achievement rate, the pass rate for MCCs, I can't get the exact percentage. When I got mine five years ago, the pass rate was 7%. 7%. 7%. That's really 7%. That's yes. intense. It's very intense. And the percentage of MCCs to the rest of the coaching population is, is less than 10%. It's very small. And so it is tough. It's tough. But the exactly well, what do I need to do beyond the core competencies and that three level levels table, there is no real concrete information. So that is why most people will hire MCCs that have a really, and this is a key thing, don't just hire an MCC, hire an MCC that has a really strong understanding of what it takes to get that. Right. Because many of them will coach to that phase one that I'm talking about and miss that phase two. And and this is Teresa's languaging around phase one and phase two, not the ICF. Um, But it's that phase two thing that will kind of knock them out time and time and time again. And so there's a lot of struggle that feels that people experience when they don't pass it the first time, but are really not sure why. They get the feedback, but they're not really sure what to do with it. So I wish I had a better answer 
director to say, here's exactly what that looks like behind the curtain, but it's kind of like the land of Oz at this point. And they're trying to fix that. Um, the ICF is really reaching out, trying to figure out a way to apply something similar to the markers to the MCC. But right now, until the PCC markers settle down, they uh, the attention on the MCCs is just the early conversations like what I'm involved with. Okay. So, I appreciate your time and kind of giving us a little glimpse behind the curtain of Oz as much as possible. And certainly one of the things that you brought up was if you if you are going to hire a coach to help you get to MCC or at least mentor you, one of the things you're going to want to be sure is to, to see how familiar they are with, with what really, not going to say that magic sauce, but sort of, you know, the, the, that level two, as you said. So what might be some questions that somebody might consider asking their mentor if they're looking to hire a mentor to help them get to MCC? Yes, that's a very good question. I encourage people to discover mentors that have experience helping people get their MCC, right? I only I only achieve maybe two a year. So it's not like you're looking for a huge number, although there may be some that get more than that. It's not about the volume. It's that this is something that you, in a way, specialize in, right? right? I'm not just or have a process or something, yeah. to, Right, that there, there's a methodology. So asking questions about how do you go about that? Where do people get stuck? You know, what are the specific things that you do to help people prepare? And how will you know, coach? How will you know as my mentor coach? coach when you think I'm ready? You know, mm-hmm. how will we measure that? So it would be things like that. And I encourage I encourage people to not have just one MCC mentor coach, right? You can need to hedge your bets <laughs> yeah. because it is a tough process to get through, meaning to get through the ICF to, to achieve that credential. And so having the perspective of at least two different MCC mentor coaches during your journey right? Because it's not a short journey. Right. And having their different perspectives and how what one perceives is the way to get there and the other perceives helps you become more well-rounded and have, I think, a higher potential of achieving it your first or second round. And point being that if, if you don't make it through the first time, don't give up. Many times people have to go two, three rounds to get through most. to the MCC. Most do. Yes, most most do. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing your expertise about it. I know that it is, it's one of those sort of reach for the golden ring, but not everybody knows whether they want to reach for it or not. And sometimes just having more information can help people get clearer about whether that's a goal they want to go for. Well, one thing I would like to you know add at the end, because I've talked a lot about the challenge and things like that, the process of reaching for the ring is worth it, right? Because it does take, whether you end up grabbing the ring or decide halfway through, this isn't for me, this is the process of going after it can grow your coaching to whole new heights because when you have those different skills and that different, that phase two mindset, it takes your coaching to whole new places and helps you take your clients to whole new places. So it's worth the journey. And it's, it's sort of worth your commitment to what you do to continue to grow and stretch regardless. Right. It Super. is. Thank you. I, we appreciate your time. All right. Thanks. One of the things that Teresa mentioned to me after her interview was that she didn't want to appear as though she was being negative or as though this was a goal outside of people's ability to achieve. And I 
hope that each one of you knows that the information might seem a little overwhelming, but it's really about us completely believing in the coaching process and staying in a place of curiosity. And that even if you choose not to achieve an MCC credential, there is value in continuing to challenge ourselves and and reach beyond our comfort level. And that's a good lesson for our coaching clients as well. Always, you know, kind of be reaching towards growth and new learning. If you'd like to know more about Teresa Poole or about our show, visit starcoachshow.com. While you're on the website, you might choose to sign up for our ongoing book giveaway, where we are currently still giving away Divine Intelligence by Dr. Jane Gardner. We also encourage you to give feedback about the show. Let me know what you like and what you'd like more of. Visit the Star Coach Show Facebook page and let's have a discussion about coaching. So once again, thanks for being a part of the show. This is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. We'll see you next week.